Hey, what's going on? This is the Educated Guest Podcast. I'm Justin, your host. If this is your first time joining us, this is a space for artists, designers, creatives to get closer to their dreams. Our mission is to bridge that gap for careers in art and design. And one way that we do that is through this podcast by bringing on some of the best minds in the world, not just the U.S., in the world in art and design fields. So whether you're somebody who's looking to start a studio, who's looking to freelance, who's looking to land a dream job, we've got a story on here somewhere for you. So this week, before I introduce our guests, a couple quick housekeeping items. If you haven't heard already, we do a supporter program, some monthly membership fee, and you get access to some exclusive stuff. We're still developing, still growing, but you're investing in this movement financially and with your time. And as a result, you get some residual benefits. And one of those benefits is I want to shout out one of our first supporters, Alex Konzevic. He's out of New York. He's had over a decade of experience working with agencies, studios, clients, and it's mainly primarily in the fields of culture, art and fashion. Right? So anything having to do with art direction, editorial, and he, now he's working in uh, more technological digital design space. So make sure you hit him up. You can find him at a dot k-o-n-s a dot k-o-n-s on instagram and uh i think he would like to hear from you so thanks so much alice for supporting appreciate you and your time now i want to introduce this week's guest Dong ping wong from food new york and formerly of family new york and it's funny because i was talking to Dong before we actually pressed record and i was like dude you know one of the reasons i started educated guests was primarily from the work that you produced several several years ago and I just never knew who was behind it. And so this is like a huge joy for me to get to do this. So without further ado, a lot of the projects he's worked on, most notably Yeezus Tour, a lot of Off-White's early stores, um, really, really notable projects that you've probably read about, seen, heard about. And I think it's just a joy to understand his approach to his practice, his approach to his work, and every piece of the mosaic that was laid to make him who he is today. So the next voice you'll hear is Dong Ping Wong. Tune in. What I stand for and even what I think our work stands for has kind of gotten, I mean, I hope it's gotten kind of more precise and focused, but I definitely remember even like early on starting out, like working for other people and stuff, like it goes from those dumb things. It's like, you know, to make the world a better place, like just really big, generic, ineffective sort of desires and then kind of getting down to like, what does that actually mean? What's actually important for you? Yeah. I think a big part of the work, especially right now, I think there's kind of two sides and I, I'll kind of relate them. <laughs> One side is basically just, um, especially with the climate change issue, uh, finding ways where architecture can have an impact on that. Um, part of it's obviously a technical issue, I think in terms of like power usage, the kind of water usage, the, all the kind of like infrastructural stuff to it. But also, I think what we find really interesting, or what I find really interesting, actually kind of essential, is basically trying to change how people relate to the nature around them in a way. So it's not so much considering the environment or resources as resources. It's actually um, like just changing psychologically how you understand the air, <laughs> the water, the plants, the animals, like all those things. And I think architecture actually can do that. Uh, basically how you grow up, how you live in a city, how you relate to all the hardscape stuff that is built around you, what you do every second of every day, mm. I think does does change how you understand an environment. So like, you know, 
as dumb as it is, like most buildings are kind of understood to protect you from the environment. <coughs> and so naturally you're kind of looking at the environment as kind of like a counterpoint to being inside of an architecture. But I don't think that necessarily needs to be the case. I think architecture can actually connect you to the to nature and the environment in really interesting ways. And then like like our pool credit is one of those examples. I think right. just having people touch the river water, it may not explicitly turn them into like clean water advocates, but I think the only way to really make real change in clean water is just to have people love it. Yeah. Just have people like want to be in it and want to touch it. Anyway, so that kind of nature aspect, that environmental aspect, I think is really, really big and actually getting bigger um, just just with the issue of it becoming just globally essential. Um, mm. I like that it's completely apolitical and not regional. It's like literally everybody. It's a problem that everybody is going to have to find it with. No, for real. Um, and then the other which kind of relates to that is as we've started doing more and more work, I think I realized that the interest was to make everything kind of as public as possible. Mm. And that gets particularly interesting when you're working on projects that are not public at all, like a retail store or like very commercial kind of projects. But taking that similar philosophy of like accessibility, of publicness, of community, of making sure people feel welcome and actually can come and hang out and act relate to other people and learn from other people. Um, that's always been kind of underlying in our work. And I think I realized that was just a, like a personal interest, yeah. not an explicit stated thing for our work, but it's become clear now. Um, so there's this thing in digital design right now. Um, I don't know the exact way to say it, but I'll say it this way. So the concept of like designing for the, for the coastlines um, and kind of the millennial generation becoming the default persona for every design. Um, and when you're talking about connecting with nature, I'm thinking, okay, I know consciously and subconsciously when a new building pops up, all of the thing, probably because I am a designer, I'm like, I notice all the nuances that someone was probably trying to communicate or get across to me. But I'm also a guy from Birmingham, Alabama, originally. I'm like, all right, not no discredit to smaller cities, you know, suburbs, all that good stuff. But I think there's a different appreciation or maybe a lack of appreciation or maybe just a lack of education of the deeper meaning behind why certain design decisions were made. And this goes to the concept um, I kind of noted to you about like breaking architecture out of this show, which is basically, it's right in alignment with educated guests. It's the same thing. I'm like, how do you reach that audience through? Like, yeah. And actually, I think what's really interesting is because um, I was trying to think of even when I first got, when I first, let's say, started noticing architecture mm -hmm. before I even knew it was a professional thing you could do was. Also, just through like really mundane stuff. Like it was, um, like I grew up in San Diego and like just a boring, typical like middle class suburb, you know? Yeah. Um, which actually, looking back, I was like, I love that it was actually totally vanilla. Like there was beautiful and it's like plainness. Right. Um, and uh, and what I noticed is like, you know how like all the homes are, I mean, this was like an older suburb. It was probably like built in like the 60s kind of thing. But, I used to, my parents were like always looking to try to improve the house, like move somewhere new, something like that. And like, so you'd always go visit those suburbs that had model homes and you're like model home, like A, B, C, D, E. And the only difference is like, this one's like a pink stucco. This one's like a peach stucco. Right. This one, like the plans like reversed, like it's really silly changes. But as a kid, I was like, ah, oh, I really like the one where the bathroom's on the left or the one where like I had my own bedroom, like downstairs, you know, it was like a huge thing. Yeah. And I realized like later on in life, it was basically how we approach designs in a lot of ways. It's like, you know, you iterate, you kind of make small moves and you see how it affects everything. But 
but I realized even at that point, like really dumb stuff that nobody even considers architecture will affect how you think about your environment, how you then like not even consciously think, just kind of how you, how you feel about your environment, I guess, how you emotionally resonate with your place you live in, mm. and uh, and how much importance or not importance you give um, subconsciously. And I think that to your point, um, I it took me a while I think to kind of understand this, but also like all of the kind of really intelligence, the deeper meaning, the kind of concepts and the theories built into the best architecture and the best kind of design. Yeah, uh, I think it's hugely important to have that thought in there. And I think for us, obviously, it's really interesting and important to move through that as a process and build that in. But I actually don't think it's that important mm. for the end user um, to understand it or not. Uh, and I think in some ways, it's it's um, it's more important for me that, like, I don't actually really care if the end user understands if the architecture is good or bad. Um, I just want to know that it's having, like, some sort of emotional, even, like, practical effect on them in a positive way. Mm. Uh, and... Like I, I do think it like every like every single thing that's built in one way or another, um, like certainly in the architecture world, I think does affect your world. Mm. Um, in the same way that like every person you meet or like certain things you learn will affect kind of how you build yourself. Um, I don't mind actually that most people don't ever acknowledge that or need to acknowledge that or know about it, but I do think it has an effect. Um, and I think what's key is like as we started shifting away from designing for those people that appreciate that stuff versus yeah. designing for the people that will never care to appreciate that stuff. And actually that's probably even more important. That's like 99% you know, of the population. <laughs> Absolutely. I was about to say. <laughs> I mean, that's most of the people. Um, and I think that also started changing how we're approaching our work, even how we start talking about our work. Um, like we purposely started describing all our projects in really simple ways, um, like single sentence, kind of simple ways, like a place to swim, a place to see the city, whatever it is. Because mm. at the end of the day, like that's, if nothing else comes across, we want to make sure that one thing comes across. And then and then you can get deeper into it. And there's like all sorts of stuff you can unpack on this time. Um, yeah, that kind of education is really, 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 really interesting. And like how you approach it as a designer is super interesting. That's, that's what interests me about you guys, too. I think taking it back um, to when I first found out about you guys, I think it was like two, three years ago or something like that. Um, and I've been keeping up with your work since then. I was like, I understand. As someone who wanted to study architecture growing up um, and still has that longing for probably going back to back to the grad school for it, it's like an, an approachable sense to your work. You know, it's a simplicity that a child would appreciate. Yeah. That's complexity like- that. Yeah. <laughs> complexity that can grow and, you know, adopt, pretty much can scale. And I want to I want to go back to that. I mentioned grad school and like undergrad. I want to I want to learn more about that 2003 to 2006 experience from you as someone that was probably in school around that time. Um, not to just tell the world how old you are or any of that stuff. No, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm bringing it up because you know I was shit. I was not in college. I'm aging my or I'm telling people how old I am too, but. <laughs> the recession was obviously right then and there. And that was probably the peak, ironically, kind of where we are right now in the market. It was Mm -hmm. like 2006, everybody's got all the money in the world to spend on everything. And next thing you know, you're looking up and you're like, huh, well, (laughs) pretty much the sky falls down and the bottom of the market falls out. How did that affect your interest in design and architecture? Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for listening so far. 
We're going to pause and take a quick break and talk about the fact that a power surge happened in the middle of this podcast recording. So what you're witnessing is the break between me and Dong's conversation. And he's such a cool and down-to-earth dude that he rolled right with the punches and we hopped back in the conversation right where we left off. But I did want to have a quick note to talk about the fact that perfection, because I love perfection, but perfection isn't always necessary as long as the imperfections can be weaved into your branding and to kind of show and feature your flaws. So that's what this is. All right, back to the show. Sorry about that, dude. That, no, that was, that was dramatic. <laughs> I know. I don't know. I noticed that the lights flickered and I was like, all right, I don't know what that is. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> nothing's yeah. going on. Uh, all right. Well, we go on. Let me know if, uh, if you like want to reschedule or something. We'll just keep going, I guess. And oh, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. I'm good to go. It's hot spot is up and all that good stuff. So um, what we were talking about is like 2006, 2007. Yeah. How did that keep you inspired? in terms of wanting to continue down this path of architecture, because I was picking my major and all that stuff in the middle of the recession. And I was like, okay, well, I don't even know if there's any jobs available. And it's a very, you know, it's something that I regret, but at the end of the day, you know, I am where I am with that information. So tell me, tell me about that. I mean, I actually think I got, looking back, I feel very lucky with where I was, let's say education or career wise, because like you said, I was I was finished I finished grad school before like two years before the recession and worked for a couple of years at like the height of pre recession, which is just like stupid amounts of money everywhere. Right. <laughs> I mean not in terms of meeting pay, but in terms of like young offices just having like insane and incredible projects. Um and so up until that point, up until the recession point, it was just like, Man, architecture is fucking amazing. Like yeah. <laughs> like really young offices i i was getting thrown into helping run like 60 story towers like just designing insane shit um meeting a lot of obviously amazing people in that period and just being like man this is like the kind of everything you kind of want like all the ambitions you can achieve sort of thing mm-hmm. but then there was like twofold one of it was like all right as i started getting to it so i ended up i was at rex for a, for a couple of years and leaving rex uh maybe like six months before the recession hit mm. um just at just out of kind of like i feel like i needed to change and one of the one of the things that prompted me to leave was like because Rex was incredible and, and I loved it there and everything was great, but it was like um, you know we we have the ability to kind of do in a lot of ways like attacks and new things and like I don't actually know if what I really want right now like I don't in terms of like am I doing things that I feel are really important and what are those things and how do I figure that stuff out? Yeah. Um, so I mean I feel like I need to take myself out of this. I knew eventually I was going to start a practice for that same reason, but at that time I was. Really so anyway, I took myself out of the office, and then six months later, it was like full-on recession. But what happened was, for me, anyway, a lot of offices had to, still had work they needed to do, um, but they couldn't make full-time staff hires to do it. So I started picking up freelance work, mm-hmm. and it let me float, I would say comfortably, but like float and get by for maybe like two years. So at the worst of it, I was like picking up freelance work here and there, kind of paying rent, and all that yeah. sort of stuff, and actually it allowed me to schedule where I'd have enough free time to try to figure out what my own office would be. Um, or, and so like it wasn't competitions here and there, which is kind of like even understanding how to run it, like what is a business, how do you set up an entity, like kind of mm. deal things. Um, and so weirdly it was a good time. And then it, it was also because of that, um, knowing that there was really no jobs out there in terms of both working for someone. So it's like, well, it's not like I can really have 
decision now, but like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'm going to work this way. I'm going to lose my job anyway. And having nothing to lose because there was no jobs coming in. Like, we didn't, I didn't, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, I think was one of the things that kicked off the plus pool idea. Well, let's just put a project out there that we want to do. You know, we have literally nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah, for real. So it's like, it doesn't work, it doesn't work, it's fine. Um, and so I had a little bit of savings. Um, and basically, I first hired uh, Jeff and Archie from Play Lab, who are the other two partners on the pool, yeah. with Juan and I. And, um, and then I had known him for a little bit before I worked with Jeff and Rex, actually, and immediately became like good friends. And then he realized, oh, shit, they are like part and parcel of this project. Like, they are essential to this. And so um, they ended up being partners on it, and the co owners on it, and founders on it, and running gigantic parts of the project. It's a godsend. But that recession, I think, was really key in terms of, well, if you literally don't have, like, it went from basically, if you have so much money and resources, you do whatever you want, Yeah. what would you do? And being kind of disappointed, it's like, well, the stuff being built is kind of junk, like this random shit, like being tall and tall, being like, big to be the biggest building for what? Right. Um, like, at that time, kind of green art, green, green building was sort of like really trendy, but it just meant like putting plants on building. <laughs> like, literally so like nothing was getting really taken that seriously. You just had the money to do like stupid stuff. And then you switch completely. You're like, all right, well, you have zero money. So if you're going to do anything at all, it better be worthwhile. Um, and so that was a really good switch to me. Like you still had the ambition to do really crazy stuff, but you had to make it worth it. You had to make it resonate. Um, and so that I think really defined how, uh, when Juan and I started family, really how we approach the work and kind of figure out what we wanted to do. And also like the initiative side of our, our practices. Really what are you looking to do differently with food as opposed to family? Um, honestly, not much, to be totally honest. Mm. Um, I think it's, I mean, obviously the, the biggest switch is that like me and Juana don't work together anymore. Yeah. She has her own practice. I think that was, it took me a while um, to figure out how to operate that way again. Like to remember that I could design stuff without a partner. Like, um, and I obviously have an awesome team in the office. There's plenty of people I like to work with and collaborate with. Like, at some point, like realizing, oh shit, decision is down to me. <laughs> right. That took me a while to kind of like get comfortable with it. Um, but in terms of philosophy, I think it actually hasn't, in my mind, it hasn't changed. Like, actually, all the projects continue to stack, carry it over. Um, we changed the name. Um, we sort of decided, like, let's not, neither of us would use family unless we work together again on something. Else. Um, just out of respect for that kind of the offices. But I think the approach, Besides the kind of general evolution of what's in me as a person, I don't think there's the approach and what we want to achieve is um, basically yeah, making kind of more making kind of more public things for cities as much as we can, like at every scale. Um, that's in connection to nature. We talked about it, it was always there, actually in my um, So it doesn't actually feel to me like a different office with obviously a big difference in one and not the hmm. Take me, I want to talk about. Um kind of that time period when you're trying to find your unique style. And then it seems as if around that same time period, you were also getting this huge influx of super high profile clients. And then not only are they super high profile, it's also people who are very passionate about their own design perspective. So then to an extent, I imagine you can tell me some of the details if you want it becomes a lot of defending design decisions or at mm. least talking about the reasons why we're going with this versus that. 
um, particularly like I'm interested in like the Yeezus tour and like the storefronts. And I think the first question is what, how would you define your unique design language? And then the second question is how are you defending that against, you know, yay or, yeah. or Virgil? And what's um, that like? I honestly don't know how to answer the first question. I'm, I'm curious myself. Mm. We definitely, I mean, you know, I, I and we as the office, I don't think we have any kind of explicit aesthetic or style that we're always trying to go for. You know, we're not like the sauna or the Shigami where everything needs to be like as white as possible. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think we have like an aesthetic that we go. I'm sure there's a aesthetic just out of the nature that it's like, you know, I'm always here. Like it's the team is always working on that. I couldn't really tell you what that is. Um, I honestly don't know. So I'm actually curious about it. But actually, the, the second question was interesting with, with both those guys. And I think a lot of people that are very adamant and keyed in on design and creativity and aesthetics and are really kind of design driven. So it's actually, it's not, it's actually much less about defending stuff because it's much more collaborative. It's much more about, like, oh shit, that's a rad idea. Let's try to make that work with this as well. Mm. Uh, and I think it actually goes both ways. So, like, obviously, uh, certainly at the very beginning, if like Yay was like, dude, I kind of want this. You're like, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no question. But even as we started getting more comfortable with that, we started working from front of years, working with them for a number of years. It was never, I mean, you know, obviously, like, there's always the cases where, like, the client, whether it's Yay or someone else, will want something they're like, you know, that's not necessarily what I would do, but we pay for it, we'll make it work. But it was, it's never like, that decision is fucking bullshit. Mm. I need to fight against this. Um, and and if it was, we could say it and be like, okay, I get that. Let's try something else. Um, just because I think every creative person is like, you're not, especially when you're working with someone else that you respect as a creative person, you're never like, my answer is the right answer. It's always like, dude, I have this amazing idea. What do you think? And they'll bring, they'll be like, yeah, it's cool. Or they'll bring something awesome. Like, oh, I just thought about this. And so it's actually much more fluid, much more seamless. It's funny the the collaborative you fighting with against in terms of defending decisions. I think they're ones that don't have design background or design mm. choice. I can feel that. And primarily, it's, it's kind of comes back to the educational part. It's, it's fighting and explaining why you think this is the, good, the right idea or the good idea or why you think this concept is interesting. Especially because a lot of times it may not come across so obvious yeah. or it is stretched to a point where they're like, didn't want to go or want to come to I think what was really key with both those guys and actually what I'm working with is that and again, back to your kind of design intelligence thing, that kind of educational part. Obviously, both those guys were joining me, are like super keyed into all that stuff, really aware of that stuff. But also, at the end of the day, like, they didn't care about all the hidden intelligence. It was like, is the final product right? Is it like awesome or not? And if it's not, I don't care how much, how smart we are. Mm. I don't care how much kind of thought went into it. We need to find something where like, the thing. it's, it's kind of like, it's actually for me it's really easy to equate to clothing but also like food probably the office it's like if it tastes bad i don't care how smart it is or how innovative it is like i'll appreciate it but i don't want to eat it you know? right like it's i funny. get it but yeah. it's like i'm not gonna love it <laughs> you know it's uh it's funny you use those two metaphors um i think about music that's my creative background yeah, okay. and i'm just like as a producer i've made beats for people and of course your ego's in it to a degree and you're like but nah you don't you don't understand like i spent i spent two hours fixing this 808 yeah. so that you can <laughs> you're not gonna comment on it 
like yeah. little little <laughs> stuff like that it's like uh i see the same thing in design too i'm just like it's the it's putting aside the ego um and it's like you know it's because like you put in i mean as designers we all put in like so much time and sweat and things like really get into things and when it's not appreciated obviously it's it sucks um but for sure i think like there's no question about there's no but actually to that right right <laughs> so um, do, do you ever wonder if you're present enough you know there's this there's a story um, well, I feel, I feel like at this point, everybody's seen the Quincy Jones doc- documentary on Netflix. I actually have not. Watched it. Oh, shit. Yeah. Make it happen, man. Um, there's this part in there where Quincy's like, when when Michael was recording Thriller, he wasn't even aware that Thriller was Thriller while it was going on. Like Michael or Quincy? Uh, uh, Michael. So right. Quincy was commenting on Michael's like somewhat like obliviousness to he's just doing it yeah so and i'm looking from the outside looking in i'm like damn dude you did this project you did this project you're still under 40 you're making it happen do you ever feel like you're not smelling the flowers while you're in the middle of the field (laughs) all the time (laughs) i know it's it's funny because like you know um i don't want to make a thriller like that'd be a life dream but like the i don't think you really it's hard to, to, I don't know, it's actually, I think it's actually both. I think because of the things we're, we're hoping our work can do, you know, like <laughs> huge impacts on the city of San and like really affect the time of year, you do kind of have to think really big and like with a lot of ego, you know, you're like, dude, this is, if this fucking gets pulled off in the way that we think it should be pulled off, it's going to be like, <laughs> like oh, it'll yeah. be like a shadow. But you kind of have to have that like going in. And at the same time, when you're doing it, it's very, it's probably healthy and very easy to forget that. Um, and certainly when actually when things are finished, actually weirdly at that moment when like, oh, building's open or, or project is done, that's probably the moment where I'm like least weirdly sure if it's going to have a major impact. Because you're like, okay, here it is. Uh, now what? You know? <laughs> nah, for real, for real. And then sometimes it does, sometimes they don't. Um, you know, like, like, um, it's really small, but the, the first Hong Kong store we did with Virgil, with the plants in the front. Yeah. Uh, you know, relatively like super simple concept, but built really well. Um, uh, I really love the store. I think it was it was a perfect timing combination of like Virgil being super into doing something, me wanna being super into doing something. Everything just kind of came together, and so the process itself, regardless of what the outcome was going to be, was really bad. Like we learned so much from that, even how we worked with him, how we discussed it, how quickly we got it done. And it's only a store, like so. I'm not saying it's like some game changer, but it's actually really interesting how much feedback we still get to this day on that project. And people are like, oh, that's like a touchstone for me when I see things, or like I really want to go see that thing. And it seems to have these legs that keeps kind of going. Yeah. With this really small thing, and I never anticipated that. I don't think really anticipated that. But it's very validating, obviously. Mm. Um, it's really proud. And I think, if anything, I think it just kind of gives you confidence. Like when you're in a project, just go with what you feel is what you kind of like. What your gut says, go with what you feel is right. You can't really expect to plan for it to be like mind blowing. You want it to be. <laughs> I've got two two follow ups on that. How many iterations do you go through? And I'm asking because, you know, you've we've all seen that like artistic trough that people get into, yeah. where it's like, yo, like it's the greatest thing ever. Da 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 da. Oh, this sucks. I suck, yeah, yeah. and then it's okay. So, I always wonder with that with any project yeah. I approach. I'm like, all right, I feel like this was dope on the second take. 
Yeah, yeah. But do I no. need to, do I need to do seventy five takes to just? I will say, sure? um, I, it's it's never a set answer. I think it's totally different for project. But one thing that we've that I've come to be more comfortable with is not feeling like I need to do seventy five takes to get to the right answer. Um, and a lot of that actually comes from like the offices that I was trained at, especially the Rex like Rex kind of office or make kind of office. It's how you work. You just produce hundreds of things, tons of options. Look at them, assess them against each other. With the belief, which I understand, in terms, it's kind of like a scientific method. You just try every option under the sun. Yeah, and it's kind of like, you know, the the best one will win and kind of reveal itself. But as you go through it, and especially with our own work, and those officers, that's actually not really the case. You're still very subjectively in that decision making, um, and oftentimes the only reason you're doing seventy five options is because you're not confident enough to just pull the trigger on option two. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, I, I think this is really good, but I need to do 50 more just to make sure it's really good. You know what I mean? Like, against it, sort of, to make to test it. And so we started doing that a lot less. We kind of don't do that anymore. And it's one of the things we actually try to do with a lot of projects, actually. Let's try to come up with a big idea in, like, an hour. Let's just run with it, like, intuitively, like, not overthink stuff, get stuff on the table. Damn. And it works sometimes. <laughs> no, I feel you. I feel you. Like sometimes it works. But when it works, it's great, because you're like, oh, okay. That the idea obviously evolves over time. It's not like that idea is what you get built, but you set a core, a central concept, and then you just evolve it without thinking of it as like a totally different idea. Hmm. And we said that there's other times where like, oh, that idea is sick, and then we'll just kind of keep running into a wall with it. And we're like, oh fuck, like we switch this one thing, it's not working. Switch this one thing, it's not working. And at those points, I think you kind of intuitively know we need to take like a big change to this and kind of like step back. And yeah, um, I'd say like on average, we try to don't go through more than like really three different design iterations on the things. Really, three? Um, and sometimes That's it's like one, number. sometimes it's like fifteen. But no, we don't. We I don't like. I don't feel like doing a lot of different options actually really helps. Mm. What is uh? <laughs> because I remember in our talk like last week, you we were talking about your brand as an environmental design studio as opposed to architecture firm and the nuances in that. And then I also see like your lo-fi sketches. I'm like, damn dude, like can I get some of my ideas out even yeah. without having the licensing to do this at large or at scale. So I'm interested to know, you know, for those of us who haven't gotten the masters, haven't gotten the licensing in architecture, how, how can other designers get their ideas out? You know, and uh, I remember. I actually, go ahead. Go sorry, guys. Um, I actually think at this point, the challenge is actually not about getting the idea. And actually, I love that right now there's so many different avenues that everybody can get their ideas out there. Yeah. Like, what I, like literally, what I do is actually nothing that special. It's like I have a pen, piece of paper, photograph it, I have Instagram. Like, that's basically what I'll do. I get, in, I get, in, I get kind of like initial ideas out there. Um, obviously there's a big difference between that and like getting the building done and I actually don't think that's that's just what it is. It's just not a But I think what's tricky is how seriously people take your ideas. Mm. And I think the problem is like the assumption is that in order for to be taken seriously, you have to have all this like training, you have to have all this like license, you have to have all this validation in something like architecture especially. And that's not necessarily the case. I don't think that should necessarily invalidate an idea if you want to have that 
proper background experience by means. Um, there's certainly major aspects of getting a building that you want that kind of experience and like technical but certainly from my viewers' point of view, mm. I think it is actually very level in the field right now. And actually, probably some of the more interesting ideas are just exactly coming from people that are not big to how our culture works. Um, and I think you're, you see it more commonly in like music, super one, music, fashion, and, uh, things that are probably just much less expensive to make Yeah. Right. Me putting out an idea for a piece of clothing for like a t shirt, if someone will come up with t shirts, is a super low barrier to entry. Buy 50 bucks, make a couple t shirts, and boom, you got like a real thing. Right. And obviously, you know, right. I actually think one of what I like is hopefully trying to make it. It actually isn't really a barrier for you to get ideas out. Like, put that idea out there. And it's just about how you talked about it. It's about how, if the idea you stand on its own. <laughs> Um, architecture does have this kind of like old boys club still of like you're not a real artist, you know, for especially you know. And yeah. so it's it's taking a while, I think, to kind of change that away. And it's just like, um, I feel like, um, and I give me just a second. I grab my computer charger, but I have a follow yeah. up on this. So I was saying, I feel like that's something that the imposter syndrome is real in creative fields. Yeah, yeah for sure. I'll tell, I'll tell my story personally that I always joke and it's like the only thing that I'm technically like classically qualified to do is play trumpet. Uh, and it's like <laughs> play trumpet and I guess be an economist. <laughs> like those are the two things. And then I'm like, so every every room I run into, I'm like, yo, we can be in the studio, you know, making music or whatever. Had a session like this past week. And I was like, you know, I'm not really supposed to be in here because I don't like no, I never went to audio engineering school. I never did da 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 da. Or then it'll be some shit where it's like we're designing apps, which is the day job. And I'm like, I've never went to computer. I never had a major in computer science. So I'm interested in like your perspective on just being qualified like qualifications which is kind of the uh kind of the project charter behind educated guests is kind of challenging that notion i mean i so i think there's qualifications in terms of like legal certification correct um which i i do find important although not necessarily uh um like a barrier certainly to getting involved in getting other yeah. like in the same way that like i when a doctor who's a licensed doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I, in terms of that, you know, especially in terms of that imposter syndrome, what I also, also find interesting is like, I think we talked about this a lot on the phone. It's like, I, I have a pretty traditional upbringing through the architecture. Yeah. I went to a I've been doing this for a while. And I still daily have like, I'm like, oh shit, do I know what I'm doing? <laughs> like, and I don't think, I kind of hope that never goes away at some point because I think you're always just trying to do it better. Um, like, I don't ever, I don't know if I want to be fully, I know exactly what I'm doing. Like, and, and if anything, I, I'm hoping that's encouraging for people. Mm. 
they're like, I'm feeling this imposter syndrome is because I'm not qualified to do this. They're like in a creative field, you're always gonna have that. Don't, <laughs> don't yeah. let that stop you from like, trying things. Um, and at the end of the day, I think it's that same thing of like, um, I think that product you produce at the end of the day should speak for itself. I think regardless of what <laughs> kind of background or certification qualification you had to get to that product. Yeah. Whether again, whether it's music clothing for architecture building, whatever. Um, if that thing turns out well, like A, people I don't care how you came to it or but also that I did that. What do you say? Yeah, man. <laughs> And it's it's funny because I made a note before we started that you know, some people reach out to me via DM um, or just text or email or whatever about past episodes. And they'll be like, yeah, man, this is great. Da, 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 da. I'm glad you're doing this. Cool, cool, cool. And then they'll be like, I'm super inspired, but also feel like I'm not doing shit with my life. And I'm like, I don't I'm always confused about how to respond to that because I feel both parts, you know. Mm-hmm. Like even I'm sure when people listen to this this show and they're like, damn, Dong has got it together. Like I'm twenty let's say like somebody's twenty eight, twenty eight, twenty nine, they're like, I'm twenty eight, twenty nine, like, yes, I have a job, yes, I've been doing this, yes, I've been doing this, but he's doing this. And you know, it's that natural comparison, you know, trap. But the question behind that is, you know, do you and I'm sh- I'm sure you do, or I don't want to assume one way or the other, but you know, Tell me about the times when you wonder if you're doing enough and then. Oh, that's every day, every, yeah. every single day. Um, and I think part of it is like, no matter, I'll tell a little story in a minute, but like, no matter how much you think you're doing, there's always someone you feel like is doing more. Mm. Um, and sometimes that's a very, that's, sometimes that's a negative thing. And sometimes it's a very positive. You know, like, oh shit, but look at that. Who's doing that's fucking nuts. Like, I feel real lazy right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm not having the kind of impact I should have. <laughs> Um, but one of the things, you know, working with Kanye that I actually really appreciated was, I mean, he was a dude who's literally achieved a million times more than like virtually anybody is going to achieve like in terms of some measurable level of success. Yeah. And it's not so much that he's like, hmm, I haven't done anything, but certainly he knows he's done a lot. But um, you feel when you're with him that like he feels like he's done 10% of the stuff that he could do. Mm. And he's like, that hunger is still there. And he's like, no, no, and that's like, everything is like, the ideas he has in there, so really, and I think that's really it was really encouraging in some ways that like and I don't know if everybody can sustain that kind of energy but encouraging that no matter what you achieve like hopefully you can retain that kind of like, oh, I feel like I should be doing more I feel like I could be doing more how do I do more stuff I don't think you want to like be settled and that can work at the scale between like you know the high school kid the college kid the college kid like someone like me you know, like that next generation of people right um I think it's just kind of a scale thing. I don't think it should ever discourage you or course again. Um, no, but that's every day. Every day we're like, oh, how do I do more? Am I doing what I should, what I, enough? <laughs> I don't feel like I'm doing enough. Facts. <laughs> it's just a constant thing. <laughs> Yo, so I've got, I've got a couple uh, more questions, man. We've been, we've been rapping for a minute. This is like great conversation. Uh, yeah. the, the next thing I had is like, how do you, in those first year or two, of either running family or running food now and you've got a couple other ventures on the side i hope you want to talk about how do you make like staff up these teams you know how do you build a business and i want to talk about like some of the finances that is like the biggest yeah because 
Now, what are the finances um, involved with that? And what is it, what is it like? I don't know. If you have answers, let me know. Uh, <laughs> if anybody else in the show has an answer, please call in. Um, no, I mean, certainly, like, it's been a little minute now, so I feel like I'm more comfortable with that stuff than I was two years ago, certainly five years, certainly ten years ago. Yeah. That isn't to say I'm, like, anywhere near comfortable with it. Um, and, and kind of even that point before, it's like you always kind of want to be better at it. You want to do it more, you want to get bigger, you want to get more money, you want to this and that. Um, but kind of think, I mean, I think it's like, it's it's kind of comes back to that when I made, when we did plus pool kind of right out of the recession, mm-hmm. is that kind of feeling of like, look, what's the worst, there's nothing, what's the worst thing that can happen? And as you have more to lose, actually like, you're like, ooh, that's not something I, I don't want that worst thing to happen. <laughs> that's actually potentially really bad. Yeah. But I feel like, okay, I can, I can, I can handle that. If that shit happens, you know, let's say it's like fuck, we, something fucks up, we have no money. I can find half my staff here, or I need to like, it's like I often that's like, what happens if for whatever reason I can't actually like run this office anymore? You know, it's like whatever reasons the recession hits, everybody runs out of money, and no projects are coming in. Like I go broke. What happens? And part of me is like, I guess I get a job. That's actually not that bad. I mean, it sucks, but it's like it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Um, and it's like people have way worse <laughs> situations. Like I'm very, feel very like lucky and proud and, and happy with kind of the things I'm able to do. So it's kind of like, and I feel like you can either hold on to that with all your might and be kind of conservative about like I, this, I need to protect this with everything I have. But also at the same time, I don't think you need to be reckless with stuff, but I think it's helpful to go, look, I want to use this opportunity to actually like stretch a little further, try something I haven't done, take a little bit of a risk, knowing that if that doesn't work, I can handle that failure side. Mm. And I think that kind of, um, and that comes down, I think, even like staffing, even having the money for it, you know, um, especially when I was first starting up. Like I was living kind of like week to week, month to month with the sort of like freelance money and what I was getting. And there are definitely weeks so I was like, oh, I don't know if I have the money next week. Mm. Uh, but like anybody else, you kind of try to find some solution to it. You pick up some random job, you know, I don't know, the baby's in job. <laughs> like you right. kind of sell some stuff, you make it through that week and you keep going. Um, and at the same time, that knowledge of like, okay, I can solve that gives you that freedom. You're like, let's try something. Let's try something that actually might put that risk. Knowing I can figure my way out of it um, if it doesn't work. And I think that's that's just kind of kept with the office as the office has grown and we try things. Um, so like stability isn't necessarily like doing interesting stuff, doing new stuff, trying new things is always a paramount, I think, like comfort. <laughs> what's what's the most expensive part of running this practice? Because one would imagine, you know, it's I mean, there's it's not like you're shipping products in my head. Yeah. Like I'm looking I'm thinking like the balance sheet, I'm like, okay. Hey, what is, what is that? Is it rent? Is it uh, it's definitely it's definitely people. Okay. All the dudes in the office are very expensive. How many do you yeah. have? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's seven. Six or seven. Okay. So cool. it's not that big. Gotcha. Um, no, but we're like, you know, yeah, we don't. All our work. <laughs> that's where all the money gets spent. Like you said, we're not making products, so we don't have material goods. Yeah. Yeah. It's all from like the kind of intelligence creativity, so that's where all the money is. Um, our rent, we actually, I mean, our rent's not it's crazy, though. We have a decent deal on the place running. We're not like over the exorbitant with the stuff we spend on. Mm. We're pretty like 
fairly grounded, like low five on offense. But so proportionally, it's definitely like, the, the staffing, which I'm happy about. But that's they both the, the biggest expense and also the biggest anxiety. Like, making sure we're doing that work to make sure people are happy and like provide good health insurance and all that stuff. And, like kind of boring stuff, but also stuff that we find really important running a business. Yeah. You know, if you had to separate your time 50 50 or 70 30 or 80 20, which half do you it's think hard. is more on running the business and which part is being creative director? Um, I'd say it's actually roughly 50 50. Hmm. Um, or at least in, I would actually think about it this morning. It's probably like 50% explicitly on projects in the office, like, like designing, sitting with the team, going through drawings, like making that kind of models. Yeah. Um, and then the other 50, it's still in some ways, I think, crew. Well, some of it's like administrative, just kind of managerial. Um, but a lot of it's still creative in terms of like trying to think, okay, what's, what kind of project are we trying to do in like two years? What kind of mm. collaborative are we trying to work with? Where are we taking this thing? What kind of things do we want to try to invent? And I love that stuff, obviously, because it's like, how do we have stuff in the office now that we can also start trying to figure out where is this, where, where are we trying to make this? Um, and sometimes that leads to like an initiative project, sometimes small, like a video project, sometimes big, like a cool project, with a couple ideas. Yeah. Kind of right now. Um, so I still think of that as a kind of a creative aspect of the office, but it's, it's uh, well, when it gets down to it, it's not paid work. It's not billable hours. <laughs> nah, that's, real. <laughs> that's real, man. I've got, I've got one more question. This is part and parcel to, again, the charter, the purpose of Educate, I guess, as a brand is, you know, reaching back out and breaking down that wall between the classroom, which for context, I was a, I was a pretty good student, you know, and I actually like school, but I understand why the structure of school and um, academia, higher education is frustrating for a lot of people. So I'm trying to like break out, like be the merger between the classroom and the living room, so to speak, you know, the people who would rather learn on YouTube. Um, so I'm interested in your perspective on like what you would offer as advice to 17 year, 17 year old dong. Like, what would you say? <laughs> um, I think one thing which took, because I think I went through a pretty classical training. So. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we also talked about this at the bottom is to realize like why you're doing the work you're wanting to do and who it's for. I think especially when you're in university and school and stuff, and that kind of academic side of the profession, especially in teacher, like it's, you end up being in that bubble, you end up designing for the architecture, designing for your architectural peers, or like you want to kind of go to the architectural press, or whatever. Yeah. You end up kind of molding your person to that, uh, how you dress, how you talk, what you think is important in your work. And I would, I think that that advice is like, don't, that's not, that's not who you're working for. It's not really part of everything you're trying to do. Like, don't worry about the attributes from your intention side. It's not why you're doing anything. Don't worry about whether you feel like you fit in the right communication or not. That's not why you're doing And I think it took me a while to kind of be comfortable not doing that. And I think that was actually a huge change of like, being comfortable. Like, oh, shit, we've actually got our office more and more. And that was both, I think because we got to work with a lot of amazing people that are not like this, mm-hmm. that I can come to like, come here and work with like, 
you know, like you said, you want to, I think Chance has that one line. It's like, what is it? Like, I'm a kind of never in a trail. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's me now. Yeah, for real, for <laughs> um, But the, yeah, I, that, that's one thing I would say. And then there's one really piece of like specific advice that I would try to give people, which is like if you're starting a practice um, to invent a fake studio manager. Um, <laughs> what does that mean? It was, so like uh, when Juan and I were running family, we came up with um, a fake person, Kelly Reynolds. And Kelly Reynolds, uh, I think it was like KR at FamilyNewYork.com. So anybody who's gotten that email, that's not a real person. Um, but it was the combination of my two favorite servers. So Kelly Slater and Dane Reynolds. Damn. Kelly Reynolds. But her whole job was to do this, the, not do the stuff we didn't want to do, but be the persona that we didn't want to do. So like basically it was like following up on payments and that invoices, being that kind of like mm. hard ass that you need you know, to run a business and like manage things and like commenting on contracts and stuff. But you don't want to, you don't want you as the design and kind of like crying off and on. And so that just like was a release valve for us in terms of, in terms of like, oh shit, I don't know how to manage, I don't know how to handle the situation and still be like that friendly guy you want to work with. Let's put Kelly on you know? And this is like well before we can even afford any kind of like super director shooting. Yeah. Eventually, um, like now in the office where the real one is sort of way better than Kelly. Um, it's like godsend, but uh, before you get to that point, Invent. We'll see. <laughs> no, I it's fuck easy. With Just that. set up an email, create a name. I fuck with <laughs> that heavy you. man. Yo, yeah, dude. You'll get caught sometimes, and it's kind of hilarious, but the most part, you'll. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, is there anything else you want to share? Like projects you got coming up, or just like how people can keep up with you? Stuff um, you're excited about? I don't know. I, well, I mean, we just uh, people are curious. Like, I mean, similar, actually. I, I love the fact that you're doing this, and. Um, we also just had we had a radio show last year and we actually just put all those episodes online um and i think it's definitely like a good system project to yours so uh it's all free radio <laughs> uh no otherwise i think I, I love having these kind of conversations hopefully it helps we're kind of like excited about it inspired by something uh, so yeah thanks oh yeah do hey thanks so much again for listening and if you've made it this far you're probably a good candidate for our supporter program. Like I mentioned, not a big fan of advertisements unless there's worth in the ad. So this is a worthwhile ad, in my opinion. Um, so if you scroll to the scroll, the bottom, scroll to the scroll. If you scroll to the bottom of the show notes of this episode, you'll see a link lead to a location where you can be a member and be a supporter as well. Thank you so much for your attention. Dong is a great guy. Again, check out his work. And if you want to know more and more about Educated Guests, some of the stuff we have planned, be sure to shoot me a DM at Educated underscore Guests. Again, I'm continuing to feature new supporters, some of our first supporters, and uh, giving them a shout out on future shows. So we're rolling up very, very soon on um, some milestones, some stuff worth looking forward to. So you're going to want to be in the know for that. You're not going to want to miss it. Thank you so much for your attention again. And as always, stay lifted and continue, continue to grind and keep perspective as well. Take care of your energy as a mentor tells me and stay up. Peace.